0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
1: Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. This is an hour dedicated to understanding a little more about ourselves, sometimes our technical problems, our beliefs, what's real, and how we approach enlightenment. Indeed, an hour devoted to learning something more, not just about the world we live in, but about how, what, and why we think as we do. An hour for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas about who we are and what we have become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. Every week, I read some of your letters as our way of respecting the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week, our show was all about thinking about thinking, and we focused on my book, What If? The Challenge of Self-Realization. Brian wrote, A number of authors I have read in the human development arena make me go, oh yeah, concepts and i might absorb you some of it or not my experience with eldon's books tend to be along the line of questioning my own thought process and logic circuits there was a time on another internet station that i would often hear eldon talk about or ask his guests what is the last time you had an original thought i could just hear the gears grinding to a halt in that person's head they were grinding to a halt in my head too I think the exercises in what if can go a long way to clearing out or at least owning beliefs and patterns of thought that can help one make better use of the other books, advice or inputs that we may not have paid enough attention to. To me, this is valuable to push to the observer point of view where I am not so emotionally triggered and can ask myself, why is it that I am getting all worked up? This, I believe, is the beginning of taking back ownership of oneself. You know, I can only say to that, Brian, amen. What do you think, Rav? He's got that pretty well nailed, doesn't he? I think so. Sharon remarked, the book opened my mind about several things I thought I believed in. Now, I don't know what I believe about them. I guess that makes me more open-minded about my options. Estella wrote, dear Mr. Eldon, every Tuesday I enjoy your show on Hay House and my mind expands with your wisdom. I've already purchased what if via Kindle? We'll be reading it soon. Blessings to you and your lovely wife, and thank you for all you do. Well, thank you uh, from both of us, Estella. Jackie wrote, Hello, Eldon and Ravinder. I am loving the conversation I am listening to with both of you today. I so wish there was a group of us who could gather and enjoy these intelligent conversations together. All right, now, Rav, why don't you let everyone know about your after-chat group, where many do gather to continue the show discussions?
2: Yes we do. Um, All you have to do is if you friend me or Eldon on Facebook then we can add you to the After Chat group. It is a closed group. Um, So yeah we discuss the subject matter of the show um, on hand. And then there are additional ideas that come up. We've had one request for a book club um, on Facebook where we can actually dive into the book. People want to talk about what ifs you know, a lot more, but then, you know, any other books that we want to uh, discuss together. So our, our social circle is growing. There's a whole lot to do there. So come friend me on Facebook, request, you know, um, the invitation for the after chat group and we can take it from there.
1: All right. Barry wrote, I love your radio show, but I must tell you, your inner talk CDs are nothing short of miracles. They have really been important to my family. Thank you more than words. Well, you're more than welcome, Barry, and we're very pleased that we could, in some small way, be there to provide a tool or two that you could use to empower your life. Thanks for your feedback. James wrote, "InterTalk is the future for learning in a new world. Now, I like that, James. You know, last week I happened to answer one of our telephone lines in the office, and the customer on the other end was there simply to praise our business. She told me that for years she had suffered from migraine headaches and that she had tried everything, including expensive medication. Then she found our site and originally balked and put off buying the Freedom from Headaches Intertox CD because she thought $27.95 was too much for a CD. A few weeks later, still dealing with headaches, she came back and purchased a CD. In her words, the $27.95 she spent was the best money she had spent in her life. No more headaches, no more drugs, no more drowsiness, just trying to free herself of pain. How many times do you hear stories like that, Raph?
2: We get loads of great stories.
1: All right, you know, despite the fact that we now have more than 40 studies all repeatedly demonstrating the efficacy of Intertalk, we continue to do research and make improvements to the technology whenever, wherever we can. Right now, we have a new study going on with attorneys and their preparation for the bar exam, another with young people and learning in the classroom, and we're working on special programs for law enforcement in other areas. Bottom line is this. We want to produce the very finest product and know through solid research that you will be successful using it. And we thank you for your patronage and support. Raymond wrote, I have started to use a few of your CDs and find the technology amazing. Well, thank you, Raymond. 105 patent claims later, we think it's quite amazing as well. Indeed, Ravinder and I use it every day and our sons have been raised on it. Larry wrote, the skin cancer spots on my forehead and arms disappeared using InnerTalk. And Nikki wrote, I want to thank you for giving my husband and I the tools to live a more fulfilled and positive life. My husband found your CDs while studying for the CPA exam for the third time. He needed something to get through the wall he was hitting with his motivation. After ordering your CD on learning and listening to it before bed and while he studied, he found that he hungered for time to open the books. You had, sent, you had sent it with a complimentary CD on enthusiasm, and I was struggling with interpersonal relations at work. My husband begged me to listen to the CD, and finally I gave in, more to shut him up than anything. After just one week of listening to the CD before bed, my boss pulled me aside and said, OK, what's up? Your attitude has completely changed. I see a huge change in you and I want to know what you're doing. This is when I knew your CD was having an impact on my life. The enthusiasm CD became a part of my daily routine and my husband ordered several more that we rotate listening to. About a year later, I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and my world was falling apart. My sister came to me with your cancer CD Uh, that was given to her by her sister-in-law as a gift for me. When I saw it, I knew this was going to be my rock for the walk I was about to take. I cannot in words convey to you how instrumental your CD was in my recovery. Through chemotherapy, a double mastectomy, rebuild, and ongoing treatment, your CD was there. I am glad it was not a tape because I would have worn it out. A close friend of mine began to struggle recently and was on antidepressants. She came to me asking how I stayed so positive, and I talked her into listening to the Enthusiasm CD. She says now that she does not want to go one day without her CD. I share your work with everyone I can, where, everyone I can, where whenever I can. I'll get that said. In short, I'm a huge fan of what you do, and I am very thankful for your work. Now, Ravinder, <clears throat> what I just read is why we do what we do, is it not?
2: It is. It makes it all worthwhile, you know, when... You're working my fingers to the bone and you know I'm working eight days <laughs> a week, 30 hours a day. Those are the testimonials that keep me going.
1: Fingers to the bone. <laughs> all right. It is, it, it is very wonderful for you to share with us, Nikki. Thank you for the special new warm fuzzy. All right. That's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine. You can express your opinions by emailing me at elden at eldentaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. We can't get all of your letters on the air, but we do thank you for your feedback, and it definitely impacts our programming. We recognize that it is because of your support that our show is successful, and we thank you. Now to today's show, and a fun show it will be, Ghosts, Spirits, Ghouls, and Hauntings. If I were to ask you if you believed there was anything like shapeshifters, man beasts werewolves, vampires, zombies, and the like, what would you say? Think about it for a moment. Most of us easily accept the notion of ghosts, but what about the walking dead? According to folklore and much of today's fiction, this world of special creatures does indeed exist, or should I say coexist, right here along with us. Is it possible that you may come upon one some dark night while walking alone through the park? Now, is this creepy or is this all just stuff designed to make us feel creepy does it come from our imagination is do we need to scare ourselves and frighten the child within and if so is there any historical evidence for any of this creepy stuff our guest today is an expert on all matters of this sort dr bob curran is a broadcaster writer teacher and researcher who has written a number of books, including Vampires, Zombies, Werewolves, Encyclopedia of the Undead, Walking with the Green Man, Celtic Lore and Legend, and Lost Lands, Forgotten Realms, all published by New Page Books. Bob was born in a remote area of Northern Ireland and has held a number of jobs. Gravedigger, journalist, musician, and hospital porter among them. He traveled in many parts of the world exploring the cultures and traditions of other peoples before returning to Northern Ireland to take several university degrees. Dr. Curran today lives and works in the north of Ireland, a place that is haunted by myth, legend, and folk tales. Over the years, he has studied the dark and sinister, both in his own land and in places beyond. A psychologist and historian, he has written and lectured extensively on the arcane and the mysterious, so is there anything real about all of these legends and myths? Well, let's get the man himself in here and find out. Welcome to Provocative
0: Enlightenment, Dr. Bob Curran. Hello, Elton, uh, You're beginning to make me sound almost interesting. Almost interesting? Hey, listen,
1: this is a great subject. It's just too bad it's, it's not, you know, midnight and Friday the 13th, and we can't have some howling. But, you know, as I read your books, and they're very well written, they're, they're enjoyable reads, um, Yeah, you know, I, I, I kept coming back and wondering what on earth prompted you to specialize in this area, vampires, zombies, werewolves,
0: and the like? Well, uh, I was born in, as you say, in a very remote area of County Down in Northern Ireland. And um, it was a, a very mountainous area. And superstition played a, a tremendous um, amount in the beliefs of the people round about. Uh, they began to interpret their lives through a superstitious what we might term a superstitious uh, mindset Uh, for instance let me ask you Elton if you go up a ladder six times Mm -hmm. uh, nothing happens to you I go up a ladder once I fall off and break my leg the question is Why does Elton go up the ladder six times and nothing happens to him? I go up once and break my leg. How would you answer that?
1: (laughs) You know, I would not see the two as having a causal connectedness.
0: Uh, (laughs) You might say, well, look, it was just bad luck. Yeah, you went up or there was something wrong with the ladder or something. Right. When I was growing up, uh, people used to interpret that in a different way. They would say, well, maybe some neighbor put a a, a sort of like a hex on me that I went up, and uh, this didn't affect Elton. Or I went up the ladder and uh, 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 I fell off because of fairies. For example, there was a field. Round behind where my grandmother lived and you couldn't enter the field without saying "Good morning" or "By your leave." Mm-hmm. and that was because there was a fairy path ran through the field and the fairies were believed to go backwards and forwards along that path invisibly and if you went into it without their permission, something bad would happen to you. The same thing, and I'm sure you have heard of this, is if you cut down certain trees in various uh, areas, something bad would happen to you because there were fairy thorns. Now, that is the sort of area which I grew up in because people believed in that sort of thing Uh and interpreted the world. Now, whenever I traveled, I found that people tried to make sense of the world. Uh, given the information that they had. Now, you're looking back and where I was brought up and you're saying, Oh, wasn't that very silly? or wasn't that uh, very superstitious, or something like that. But no, that was the way in which people interpreted the world. And we look back sure. on our ancestors, and they say, oh, they were very primitive because they believed in witches, because they uh, believed in ghosts, because they believed in evil spirits. But that was the way in which they made sense of the world. Now, I think within all of ourselves, that there is a need to make some sort of order within uh, the cosmos in which we live. We try to make uh, some sort of interpretation about that. Now, uh, in many cases... uh, And in a modern time, our interpretations are scientific. We say the stars are there because uh, they're big balls of gas and there's planets going around them and because we are uh, in the center of, uh, of a thing called the Milky Way. But uh, our ancestors looked at the sky, and given the amount of information and given their interpretation, they said it was something completely different. It was uh, uh, gods in the sky. It was uh, creatures going across the sky. The, the, The sun came up. And, was, uh, or, and ate the moon or the moon came up and ate the sun or did something like that. And uh, this is how they made sense of their world because none of us, I think, wants to think that the universe is unstructured and that we are simply uh, fort- uh, hostages to, to chaos. So, okay. so- uh, we, we do that through either religion through uh, our belief systems or through how we interpret the world, whether that be in a scientific or a supernatural way.
1: Okay. I've got to ask this then, you know, uh,
0: Bob, are you still superstitious? Well, uh, you keep, uh, you keep ask, <laughs> uh, asking me am I, am I superstitious? And other uh, hosts have asked me, do I believe in ghosts? Uh, uh, and do I believe in the things I write? Uh, you say do. And uh, the question then I would ask you is, do you believe in them? Because if you believe in them, they exist. Okay, uh, no, no, I didn't mean uh, that. I, because, I didn't mean in that sense. That is the way in which you interpret your world around right. you. Right. Right. If you want to say but that's not what I meant That's not what uh, I meant. But I, mean... I can't explain to you. And and uh, people come to me. Some things I can't explain. And say, look at this. Look at that. Now, for example, I went into a room uh, many a number of years ago. Now it was in a house in which an old aunt uh, or great aunt, sorry, of mine had lived, and she was always. Um, Fond of using what was called lavender water. It had a a particular smell to, to make her smell nice. And she died. And I went into the room in which she was, long after she was dead, and I could smell the lavender water. Now, people say, well, you're interpreting that as a ghost. And I say, well, I can't really explain. The only way I can explain it is that I associated the room very strongly with my great aunt. And, and perhaps it triggered something in my brain that I smelled the lavender water. Um, but, uh, I mean, I have no uh, answers for you. You ask me, am I superstitious? I'll give you the real uh, philosopher's answer. I will say both yes and no. Okay, uh, so make of it what you will.
1: All right. No, that's, see, see, actually, I, I I share your experiences. I could tell my own about uh uh, smells and and the deceased and, and yep. ghosts etc i didn't i wasn't in, inclined to ask that it's you know we have these superstitions about the black cat crosses your path or a snake or something that's the kind of superstition i was asking um, well, whether or not you, you uh, shared superstition, that
0: super go ahead you you're asking me would i walk under a ladder um, because that's a great <laughs> superstition here. If, if you walk a under a ladder, something bad right? will happen to you. Now, I, I will not uh, walk under a ladder if a man's up there carrying a pail of paint, because right. he might drop it or he might spill it on me. At uh, or will I walk on any crack in the pavement? Yeah, well, uh, I I would be tempted not to in case I might trip over it uh, <laughs> or do something.
1: All right, well, we're going to have to hold it on that one, come back when we, uh, okay. we've got a hard break that we, we're we going to deal with right now, uh, Dr. Curran. So we're discussing the beasts of lore, vampires, werewolves, zombies, and more with, uh, with author Dr. Bob Curran. Uh, It's a great read. The books are all that. I invite you to check out the links uh, at eldentaylor.com that lead directly to his book. Later in the show, we'll get some information on his website. If you're not already in our chat room, now's a great time to join in the conversation. We have a short film during the break. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after these words from some of our friends.
3: Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner Talk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that change your inner self talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner Talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier. From losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I N N E R T A L K.com. Innertalk.com Confusion, deception, manipulation, feeling a bit controlled, lost, learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
1: And welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing vampires, werewolves, zombies, ghosts, and more with author Dr. Bob Curran. But before we get back to today's show, I want to ask you to like our Facebook fan page for Provocative Enlightenment Radio. As a fan, you'll always know where we are, what's on next. I would also like to invite you to join us on Facebook while you're there. All right, back to today's show. Before the break, uh, Dr. Curran, you were suggesting that uh, superstition, if I get this correct, should be maybe relative to what uh, the potential hazard is within it. And and I suppose underlying that is maybe a, a theme that would say somewhere all of these myths, all of these superstitions, uh, they're going to be based in, it's something that happened. Take, for example, your early example. Uh, I went up the ladder, you said, six times. You went up at once, broke a leg. Well, it, it, is there a possibility that maybe something like wild children, feral children, uh, spawned some of the the myths? I mean, from reading your books, I guess I'm, I'm setting you up. I want you to tell us about the underlying both the truth And the fiction that's involved in our monster
0: world. Okay, Eldon. Um, Yes, you're absolutely right. Because some of the superstitions or some of the folklore that we have are is used to explain some of the stuff which we can't really explain by other means. And you have mentioned feral children or people who lived alone or uh, and had perhaps strange ways about them. I'm thinking per, uh, particularly of in France at the end of the 1500s where... Um, Uh, Society was not really uh, as structured as perhaps it is today, and living on the peripheries of certain societies were strange people. Uh, people who were, uh, if I can use the word, misanthropes, who didn't get on well with their neighbours, who stayed away from their neighbours. I'm thinking uh, of people like Gilles Garnier, who was a sort of a hermit who lived with his wife in the woods. Uh, and I suspect that there were terrible things going on in these peripheral areas. For instance, I suspect that cannibalism may have, uh, went on. We, uh, cannibalism, I suspect, in remote areas of, let's say, Europe, was much more common than we think. Uh, so that when somebody died, perha- perhaps in the middle of uh, a very hard winter, and in certain parts of r- rural America too, um, and uh, died in the middle of a very hard winter, they could finish up in the stockpot uh, for a community. But people like Gilles Garnier, uh, who was on the edge, uh, the periphery, was uh, classed as being a werewolf. And uh, uh, wolves who uh, uh, appeared uh, in the area were connected to him. Now, these were actual wolves. But because he was such a strange old man, and uh, uh, people thought that he must be uh, uh, something supernatural uh i'm thinking again of uh peter staub uh who lived in badenburg in germany uh in the 1500s uh who was accused of having uh, of committing incest and and uh, and uh, a number of other crimes and people said that he was in league with the devil and that he had a belt which could turn him into a ravening beast so these were people who were very much on the periphery of society, but whom society used superstitious uh, or supernatural uh, explanations uh, to deal with them or to explain them. Uh, and both Staub and Garnier were both burned as werewolves and as witches. Uh, once again, you get a strange old woman living on the edge of a, of a community. And, um, Uh, who has strange ways about her, and she gets interpreted as a witch. Uh, uh, Reginald Scott, the the, the great um, sceptic, writing at the beginning of the 1600s in England, uh, said that the way to recognise a witch was the gobbler tooth and the squint eye. Now, that means that she was bit uh, unprepossessing-looking or a bit ugly. And, and people were frightened of her because she wasn't really normal. So they began to invest her with, uh, with all sorts of supernatural things and began to explain maybe her strange habits or her strange ways or her strange looks. And um, uh, uh, consequently, the idea of a witch was born. And you find this in England. You find this in South Germany. Uh, And you find it to some extent in America.
1: Of course, yes, you do. Uh, So you're going to say that, and and please don't let me put words in your mouth, that all of these myths are indeed myths, but they were seeded from or by real people who, because of their strange appearance, their strange behavior... or perhaps their criminal behavior, or what we would see as criminal at least today, uh, gave rise to exaggerating this entire...
0: Uh... I think you're right, Eldon, but I think it's much more than that. You asked about vampires. Now, vampires... Flesh that out. Uh, the, the belief in vampires and, and the belief in vampires has been with us for a long, long time. Uh, and, and in fact, one of the questions I asked whenever I was writing a book on vampires was, uh, why has the myth of the vampire proved an enduring one? Yes, there are certain things which have happened. For example, the spread of uh, of disease uh, such as tuberculosis. Uh, uh, for instance, in places place like Rhode Island, uh, where you have a, a, which is, uh, I think, and I would be tempted to say, that it was the vampire capital of America, rather than New York or Los Angeles. Uh, Rhode Island had had a string of what were called vampire women. Uh, ranging from the late 1600s through to the beginning of the 1800s. Uh, but uh, And part of that was down to disease. But the notion of the vampire itself asks a fundamental question. Uh, and the question is, uh, what uh, is it like after death? Because nobody knows. And nobody has come back uh, to say... Uh, would it be possible to cheat death in uh, in some shape or form? And that's a very very fundamental question because we don't know whether we can come back from death, or um, uh, we have no hard evidence um, that anybody ever has, um, uh, excluding the Bible. Um, but uh, and can uh, somebody? exist uh, forever without having to die? Now, uh, the, uh, the question, uh, the vampire begins to answer some of those questions. It's an interpretation. It's, a, it's an answer to the question. Here you have the immortal person living forever uh, who, uh, who has to live uh, uh, in a sort of twilight world. Because the question then is, if we could live forever, what would it be like? Uh, would it be, um, uh, as the Egyptians thought, that you took, uh, you went from one transition to the other, as did the ancient Celts, uh, and you took all your servants and, and, and your dogs and your hounds and your wives and stuff with you? Or would it be that you lay in a grave and came back from time to time. Now, uh, I remember in 2005, with going down with my own wife to interview an old man in southwest Fermanagh in Northern Ireland here. And he talked about uh, his grandfather coming back on a certain night uh, in the year because his grandfather was one of the blessed dead. Now, uh, there was a belief in parts of uh, Ireland and in other Celtic countries as well, that on certain nights of the year, God allowed certain people to come back and enjoy as they ha- uh, all the things that they had done when, uh, when they were alive. they were supposed to enjoy let 's say a glass of whiskey, a, a seat at the fire uh, a pipe of tobacco uh, in some cases, they, some of them even enjoyed their conjugal rights. So, uh, George told me that his grandfather came back on uh, on Halloween night, sat at the fire, uh, had uh, a pipe of tobacco and a glass of whiskey, and uh, the family went to bed and left him sitting there, and in the morning he was going back to the grave. Now, that was not an unusual, because I remember my own grandmother setting uh, a an extra place uh, at the dinner table on Halloween night uh, in case some of the dead would be going past on the road and want to come in. Now, uh, and the, uh, that meant that the, the, uh, the loved dead or the dead that they wanted to see could maybe come back. So uh, that addressed a fundamental question, what happens after death? Could the uh, uh, dead come back to have a look at their loved ones? or to do something. Uh, It was, uh, I remember getting a cure for ringworm, which was a a disease which he got from cattle uh, and infected my right hand from an old lady. Now, uh, the story was that whenever um, she was a child, her mother had died in childbirth, uh, and she'd been brought up by her father. But each night, her mother came back from the grave and was allowed to come back by God to suckle her child. And that was uh, how she got the cure to cure a ringworm. And people believed that. And uh, I have to say that the, the lady um, uh, produced the charm, and uh, I was cured within a day. So uh, I'm not going to argue with that. But the vampire... And, uh, and The Walking Dead address the question, what happens after death? Can uh, the dead come back and see their loved
1: ones? Okay, but, but Bob, now I'm going to ask you, uh, yep. as opposed to being the broadcaster to put on your psychology hat, you're the okay. psychologist now, okay? Okay. And, and what, you've, what you've described in both The Walking Dead and The Vampires, by way of your question, what happens after we die, is rather ghoulish, so what is it about the human psyche that gives rise to uh, a fantasy that connects eternal life with sucking people's blood or or taking others lives uh, what, what is it about the innermost deepest levels of our psyche that propels that kind of thinking
0: well you're looking at a number of... You've asked me a number of questions there, Elton, because you're, you're asking me about the dead coming back. You're no, I'm asking not asking that. I'm God. asking
1: why. What is it about our psyche that gives rise well, to in to fantasizing
0: in, in I, such uh, a way it's as... It's all th- about the question of life. Does life continue after death? Certain ancient... Uh, um, people's thought that it did. For example, the Egyptians. The Egyptians well, let's, let's assume uh, that,
1: though. That's not my question, Bob. I'm asking why the ghoulish side of
0: this? Why? You well, want to know why they come back and suck blood?
1: No, no, blood? no. I want to know it's your interpretation as a psychologist as to why there is in the human psyche that gives rise
0: to the the, the big question is is death the end does does that come back and if so how is it not the end uh because blood yeah, you're asking about the vampire sucking blood the blood is supposed to be the force of life we cannot exist without blood so the vampire comes back and begins to drink the blood so that life passes from the victim into uh, the returning revenant or whatever it is. And that sustains them. Um, you may interpret that as ghoulish. Uh, people didn't, for instance, Uh, At the funeral of Attila the Hun in the the 5th century, Uh, uh, his followers slashed their veins in order to show grief at Attila's passing and to try and restore life to Attila. The letting of blood was quite common as a token of grief, as a token of trying to bring people back, so much so that in the 6th or 7th centuries, the church had to pass a law, and that is uh, the Christian church, had to pass a law which forbade the letting of blood at funerals. Now, um, blood uh, became the symbol almost of life itself, the passing of life from water, from the living Uh, into the dead in order to revive the dead. And the question is can those whom we love or those whom we depend upon uh, come back and keep us safe or Um, it used to be that the dead were allowed to return for specific reasons. And the Church actually laid out the reasons uh, in which the dead might return. They could come back to advise, they could come back to warn, uh, they could come back to admonish, and they could come back to punish. And uh, uh, those four reasons uh, were the ways in which the dead were allowed to return to uh, To view uh, or to interact with their um, descendants. Do, so, do you
1: connect that at all, Bob, with, uh, say, sacrament, uh, Christian tradition to participate in the flesh and the blood, but particularly that, the blood that, That's Christ? right. I
0: mean, uh, I, I, I'm trying to steer uh, 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 off this, Elton, because I don't want to offend people's uh, sensibilities, uh, because people hold uh, certain religious viewpoints. But if you look at uh, some of the Church teaching, uh, for instance, the um, idea of
1: to go. I mean, and I think most of our listeners know that uh, as far as these kinds of things, I, I mean, I, I know that somewhat 300, I think it was 350 BC, the cult of the Great Mother in the Mesopotamia area, on um, the vernal equinox, uh, the rebirth of the sun, if you will, which just happened at that time to be the 25th day of December. Uh, and uh, the
0: slaying of the, of the old ball yeah. and the emergence of the new
1: yeah, that's right. So, you know, uh, entering the pit to partake in the blood. Uh, let's let's move on to uh, recent interest in zombies has prompted concepts such as zombie apocalypse.
0: Now, I thought you might get onto that, Elvis. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, what's your
1: take on this? Where does this come well,
0: from? Just how um, true it, do you it, think it is? It ties is? in with the, the vampire and werewolf. Uh, how, if I can use this terminology, How do you make vampires, werewolves, and zombies sexy? You make them gruesome beyond words. uh, No more so than uh, in in the zombie. Now, you asked me that I believe uh, some of these creatures existed. Of them all, I think uh, something like the zombie might exist. Now, you have to ask me then, Uh, what do I think the zombie would be like? Do I think it's one of these flesh-eating things? And I have... uh, We get cable uh, TV here. And late at night... They put on these shows, and sometimes I'm sitting up, and I'm coming in, and I'm getting my supper, and I'm watching these things, and they're all about zombies, and they're all about uh, some sort of plague has swept the world, and zombies are going about eating people's flesh and stuff like that. Now, I don't think the zombies like uh, uh, are like that, but I do believe that there have been people who have been either drugged or had some sort of uh, substance uh, put into their bodies that have taken away a part of their reason. Uh, we do have a an actual folkloric zombie or uh, an, a a real zombie from the nineteen eighties, and that was uh, uh, Clavius uh, Nercis who in 1980, you asked me do any of these have basis in history, and Clarvis uh, certainly w- uh, walked into uh, a village in 1980, and uh, the problem was that Clarvis had been dead and buried uh, in 1960, yeah. uh, and was recognized by his sister, who lived in the village. Uh, he had been enslaved by a bokor. Now, his uh, bokor is a witch doctor. Um, uh, His brother, in fact, was uh, was one of these uh, witch doctors and had uh, drugged him and had sold him on to another person. Uh, And we do have in uh, the penal code of Haiti, now Clavis lived in haiti he was in a he, he was in a village in haiti uh and we do have in the penal code a forbidding of buying zombies in order to work as cheap labor uh and that's from the haitian penal code right um and so there may be people who have been influenced by um by um uh, drugs or, or or some sort of substances and uh, this was uh, the basis for uh the book the Serpent and the Rainbow, which was based, actually, on on Clarvice. Uh, Wade Davis was the anthropologist uh, who wrote uh, The Serpent and the Rainbow, which was then turned in, later on, on into a film. Um, but um, yeah, as for the zombie apocalypse, where zombies are going around devouring uh, anybody they encounter i don't think that is the case because you have two uh, distinct ideas which are somehow tied up one is um the idea that there were um zombies or people who were drugged or whatever uh on some of the caribbean islands Bob, um, we're going to have um, to leave I'm it there. We're going to have to. We're going to have
1: to tell everybody to get your books. I want everyone to know how to do that and how to contact you because we're about out of time. So tell. Tell our audience how they can learn more about Bob Curran
0: and your materials, sir. You can look. Uh, uh, you can um, look on uh, uh, me up on Amazon. You can look me up on Barnes and Noble. You can look me up on all good bookstores. I also have a blog, and uh, it's through my publisher, through Career. Uh, and just look me up under Bob Curran's blog uh, or right. Career Publishing.
1: Google bob kern and you will find it all and and the books are great reads they are fun and they are enlightening well we've come to the end of another hour of provocative enlightenment i want to thank you all for joining us and i hope you enjoyed our show we'll join us again next time wherever you are in the world remember then believing in yourself not monsters always matters